You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. So the worship leader is coming up to speak. So like Nick said, um, this is my very first time preaching. Uh, it's a little intimidating. Um, I've done public speaking before, obviously, like in class. You know, I got an A in speech, so hopefully that'll help me today. Uh, we'll see, though. Uh, but what speech doesn't prepare you for is researching the Bible and taking notes and learning what God has to say for you. Um, so that was really challenging for this for me this week um, to learn what that meant to like create a sermon and try to, try to create an outline. I went on YouTube just to look up how to do it and. YouTube isn't very helpful sometimes, it's just a lot of people that maybe don't know what they're talking about, but uh, there was some good stuff in there. Um, but yeah, so here I am, and just like what Nick said, we if any of you guys, I'll just offer this up, if anyone ever felt like they want to preach, uh, just get into contact with Nick, uh, we're working on a preaching team, so um, you can be this lucky to be nervous and scared to preach. Um, but the really great thing about it, guys, is God has really grown to me this week, um, one thing I really love about being challenged is even though you're scared, uh, God really grows in you and He pushes you um, to have faith in Him. And that's what He's done to me this week. So yeah, um, here I am. And with that, I'd like to just open up in prayer. Um, yeah, so if you just bow your heads with me, please. Heavenly Father, I just come before you. We come before you as a church. Um, just being very thankful. We're so thankful how you're moving in the world. We got to see how your hand is moving in the Philippines. And God, we thank you for those servants. We thank you for challenging us. We thank you for sending us to places that, frankly, we don't want to go, God, but you say go and we think, why? And then you get us through that and you go, oh, now I see why. And so, God, I just thank you for um, providing for us. And Holy Spirit, I just ask this morning that you would come into this church that you would uh, speak through me. Send me your authority, and Lord, let me speak your words. And Holy Spirit, I ask that you come onto this church, into these people's lives, and I just ask that you would help them see, and you would give them ears to hear, and that you would open their hearts towards you. And that Holy Spirit, that um, as they listen to the message today, that you would just speak to them. And we just pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, one thing I've noticed about Common Ground is that a lot of the times, and I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but a lot of the times the preachers will open up with like a question. And so in Common Ground spirit, I'm actually going to be doing the same today. Um, so my question for you guys is, and this will be open answer, feel free to respond, shorter, shorter, long, or whatever. Um, I'd like you guys to tell me or tell the church of a time that you were proud of yourself or proud of someone else. This can be good or bad. So, anyone? Right? The first time I saw my son when he was about eight or nine years of age score a goal in hockey. Hockey, <laughs> yes. Love it. That is pretty cool. Did they have the buzzer go off? Probably not, but... well. There were three or four half a dozen parents there, and we all got excited. Cool. <laughs> Good enough. Anyone else? I think the thing that made me the proudest of myself was 
when my daughter was going through some really difficult times to just let God have her life mm -hmm. and not rely on trying to change her myself, but allow God to do the work and have her call me when she's ready. It was a year and a half before I heard from her, mm -hmm. but I had complete peace. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. Thanks, Mary. Chris? We finished a giant chunk of concrete in Mexico. Yes. I love laying concrete, even though I've never done it. That's really cool. I actually want to learn. I actually think it's a really useful skill. Anyone else? Am I missing a hand? Oh, winter. Yes, yeah, sorry. <laughs> Yes. I wasn't proud of the actual graduation part. I knew that was going to happen. It was just the fact that I was still alive. Yep. So that, I was proud of myself for staying alive. Yes, graduating high school is a big milestone. I'm happy you're alive. Thank you. We all are. We're very thankful for you. Anyone else? <laughs> Doug. We had the privilege of walking over this very high swinging bridge. And uh, I couldn't be showing up, so I walked across it. Mm -hmm. That's probably about five years. Yep. <laughs> Doing something scary. That is an accomplishment as well. Any more? Got my first buck in 2016. Hey, nice. <laughs> How many points? Probably a five-pointer. Nice. Or six-pointer. I, I don't remember. For those of you, I don't hunt, but I know points is like a good thing. I don't know what it's like. It's not like a, I don't know how they score deer, but it's like, yes, 50 points. I got it in the heart. But I think it has something to do with the antlers. <laughs> nice. Headshot. No. Um, yeah, I, sh I should know better. But uh, no, I, I really like all the stories you guys shared. I, I really appreciate that. And I'm really happy that you guys um, shared like happy moments. Um, because, I don't know if you guys do this, but this is something that I do. I've, I kind of classify pride in like two different things. Like there's, there's like a good pride where, I wouldn't even say it's pride, but like you're happy for someone that they accomplished something great. And it's not that kind of pride that's necessarily bad. Like we heard about like children scoring a goal. Like you're not looking around and, and building yourself up about that. You're just genuinely happy for them that they, they accomplished something great. Or like Winter making it through high school. Like we're happy that she did that. But we're not going around and saying, oh, Winter's still alive. You know, we're not building ourselves up on that. Um, but then there's that second kind of pride. Um, the pride that's not good for us and the pride that kind of deceives us. Um, and we're going to see a little bit about that today. Um, we're going to talk about that. Because um, that's a big theme in the book of Obadiah. Um, so we'll go ahead and start our video here. And then we'll get a snapshot from our Bible project and see what they have to say. The book of the prophet Obadiah. This is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament, the mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So first, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham. 
who, with Sarah, had their son Isaac, who, with his wife Rebecca, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now, in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. Now, right when you think you're going to hear more about how Edom will meet its doom, the topic suddenly shifts in verse 15. We hear this. The day of the Lord is near against all nations. Now, why do we all of a sudden shift from Edom now to all nations? This first is a hinge piece, and it links the first half of the book to the second half, where Obadiah announces the day of the Lord, but not only for Edom. He widens his focus to include all nations. And Obadiah says that all prideful nations that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way. They'll fall from their prideful heights and come to ruin. Now, the combination of these two sections, one about Edom, the other about all nations, shows us why Obadiah was so interested in this tiny southern neighbor of Israel. Obadiah sees Edom's pride and fall as an example, an image of how God will one day confront the pride of all nations and bring about their fall, too. It's hardly coincidental that in Hebrew, the word Edom, or Edom, is spelled with the exact same letters as the word humanity, or in Hebrew, Adam. In Obadiah, Edom's rise and fall is a parable of how God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among all nations in the day of the Lord. But as in all the prophets, God's judgment is never his final word. Specifically, remember the conclusion of the two books that came right before Obadiah, Joel and Amos. Joel had painted a picture of what will happen after the day of the Lord against all nations. He said that God would perform a new act of salvation in Jerusalem and that all who humbled themselves and called upon him would be delivered. And in the conclusion of Amos, he said that after the day of the Lord has judged Israel's evil, God would raise up the house of David and build a new kingdom for Israel that would include Edom and all the nations called by my name. And so the book of Obadiah has been placed right after Joel and then Amos to expand on these very promises about the hope of God's kingdom over all of the nations. And so the book concludes with a very hopeful future. God says he's going to restore his kingdom over the new Jerusalem, that he'll repopulate it with a faithful remnant. And then from there, God's kingdom will expand to include all the territory and nations around Israel. 
And so this little book contributes to the larger portrait of God's justice and faithfulness that we're seeing in the prophets. The ancient pride and betrayal of the people of Edom becomes an example of the greater human condition. All of the ways that we betray and hurt each other in God's good world. But there's hope, Obadiah says. Edom's downfall points to the day when God will deal with evil in our world, but also bring his healing kingdom of peace over all the nations. And that's what the book of Obadiah is all about. Those videos are really, really helpful. Especially... Um, I, I lean on the, that video a lot um, when I was writing the sermon because, you know, sometimes when you're reading the Bible, you find yourself going, I don't understand, like, the context, or you maybe don't know, like, Hebrew words, so it's really nice when the video throws in the stuff of, like, Adam, or Edom and Adam. So, I just found that stuff very interesting. Um, and so, when I was writing this sermon, I kind of asked you guys some moments of pride, or not moments of pride, but some proud moments that you've had, um, and I kind of asked myself the opposite question I asked. When have I been prideful in, in a more negative way? And I don't know why, but I just kept thinking of this one story. I was in first grade. Um, and guys, this was a long time ago. Um, and for some reason, have you guys ever heard of tetherball? I'm sure you guys have. It's that weird game that you play when you're a child because it's like the only game to play. So... Um, there's a big stick in the ground, and you have to try to like hit the ball and wrap it around the stick before your opponent wraps it around your side of the stick. And I was like really good at this game. Um, yeah, so in first grade we would uh, we just had a blacktop and a bunch of tetherball poles, and um, every like morning and recess we'd all go out and we'd play this game, and it was we would play it so that it was like a king of the hill. So um, what would happen was. You know, you'd line up, whoever would win the game got to stay in, and then the loser would go to the end of the line. And there was one particular lunch where I was almost the king the whole recess. And I was so excited because, like, that's never been done before. I was like, I'm going to be the first person to be the king all of recess. Um, started winning and winning. It was, it was fine, blah, blah, blah. But um, we were getting close to the end of recess, and then all of a sudden... Um, because how it works is the people that are in line are the refs for the game. And so they're the ones, you know, you're out or you did this or you did that. There's all these rules that you can break. Um, and I remember I was playing this person and I thought I was going to win. But then all of a sudden the line's like rope, rope, rope. And that was like the signal. You'd be like, yeah, they hit the rope. And I was like, I didn't hit the rope, guys. I'm going to win. I'm going to be the king all recess. Um, and I just got really upset. It's just like the longer I was in, like the more... I just thought I was so good at this weird game. And I actually wasn't that good. Um, so when I lost, I was just, I was so upset. I blamed, I blamed them. I was so upset at the line for, for saying that I hit the rope. And then I was ready to blame everyone else except myself that I was bad or that I deserved that loss. And that's the thing that happens when you get really prideful. I know this is kind of like a silly example, but I think it's a good one for how pride affects you. The longer you let your pride in, and as long, as long as it deceives you, it convinces you that you're something that you're not. Like in my case, I thought I was the best at tetherball. But it's really a silly thing to be proud of, right? But that's what people do. We, we're, 
we're proud of things. We just we just choose something and we, we we elevate it to a level that it really doesn't need to be. And we think, wow, I'm so great at I don't even know. I'm so great at juggling. I'm the best juggler. I'm so proud of that. It's my identity. You know, it's it's just funny. And we're going to see with the Edomites that uh, they actually did a very similar thing. Um, but the good thing is, although I did get very prideful. Um, Losing did help me realize that I wasn't very good. And it was a very humbling thing for me. And so sometimes um, God just needs to humble you. And, that, and I think that losing or, you know, losing things or whatever is really good for you sometimes. Um, so now I want to talk about Jacob and Esau. Because we need to look at a little bit of the history of the Edomites. And we saw in the video that... The Edomites, their descendants of Esau. Um, and actually, what's happening in Obadiah is actually a continuation of the relationship between Jacob and Esau. Um, and if we look back to Genesis, we know that they were twins, and they were in the womb together. And that Esau was born first, and Jacob shortly after. Esau's name means red. He was a red and hairy guy. And Jacob, when he was born, he was hanging on to Esau's heel, and that's what he was named after. Uh, I was like hanging on to heel or something like that. Um, so as we know, um, there's the prophecy um, in Genesis, and that actually comes in verse 23, and it says, and this is when Rebecca was pregnant, it says, There are two nations in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. And we all know that when, once Jacob stole Esau's blessing, Esau never forgave him. And we know that Jacob led to the line of Israel, and Esau led to the line of Edom. And so that anger and that resentment, Edom took, told his kids, they took it, and it just went down the line and down the line until Edom had its own country, and they just hated the Israelites because they had never forgiven them for what Jacob did all those years ago. So that's a little bit about their history. Uh, let's talk about their the people groups. Um, so we saw in the video that they, that Edom was actually like south um, southeast of Israel. It was kind of a poor nation. Um, they didn't have like a ton of resources or anything like that. But hold on, I'm just trying to get this thing to change. Okay, so. Like we talked, uh, the Edomites were descendants of Esau, um, and then also an Ishmaelite woman. So I found that that was really interesting because you remember that Ishmael was Hagar's son, and that he kind of had his own family drama. Uh, but the important thing here to remember is that Jacob and Esau, they're, they're family, right? So Israel and Edom should have been working together. They should have been protecting each other, like a family does, right? And so that's what make this, makes this story so weird. Um, and then, um, kind of like I said before, you know, Esau was like a red and hairy man, right? Remember when Jacob deceived his father? He like put on bear skins and he got all hairy. I just think that's, you know, I, I'm in healthcare, like I'm, work, I'm going to nursing school. So I think about like the genetics of it all. I'm always like, man, what would the Edomites look like? And um, so they must have been red, hairy people, right? Because that's what Edom meant, meant red. Um, and so you might have seen it when I was messing with the clicker, but I always just think of the Edomites looking like this. Just like a big old red happy family, except kind of prideful, and they live in the rocks, and you know, they don't see that much sun, and they think they're super wise. 
Um, n- n- nothing wrong with red-haired people, but it's just funny because I just think about that. And I just thought I'd share that with you guys. Alright, so now we'll dive into the Word together. Um, like it was said before, Obadiah is the shortest book of the Minor Prophets. I actually think it's the shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, so what I thought we'd all do together is we just read through the whole book as a church, and we'll just take it section by section. Um, so we can go ahead and open up to Edom, or Obadiah 1, sorry. <laughs> the vision of Obadiah, Edom will be humbled. Thus says the Lord God concerning Edom, We have heard a report from the Lord, and a messenger has been sent among the nations. Rise up, let us rise against her for battle. Behold, I will make you small among the nations, and you shall be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you who live in the clefts of the rock, in your lofty dwelling. Who say in your heart, who will bring me to the ground? Though you soar aloft like the eagle, though your nest is set among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if plunderers came by night, how you have been destroyed. Would they not steal only enough for themselves? If grape gatherers came to you, would they not leave gleanings? How Esau has been pillaged, his treasures sought out. All your allies have driven you to your border. Those at peace with you have deceived you. They have prevailed against you. Those who eat your bread have set a trap beneath you, and you have no understanding. Will I not on that day, declares the Lord, destroy the wise men of Edom, and your mighty men shall be dismayed, O Teman? So that every man from Mount Esau will be cut off from the slaughter. When I was reading that, um, I was very confused by the first verse when it said, A messenger has been sent among the nations. And so I went in and looked um, looked up what that meant. Because I just pictured like a guy on Pony Express being like, Here, here, here's the word from God. But actually one thing that's really cool about that is in other translations it says that God actually moved an angel to stir up the the Assyrians for the future destruction of Adam. And so I just found that really cool that God God has his hand in the world and he's going to use his angels and he's going to do what he has to do to make his will happen. So God's hand was moving even back in the Old Testament and it still moves today. Um, And then I want to look at verse 3. And I think back to my story of tetherball and... What verse 3 says is that um, the pride of their hearts had deceived them, right? Like we kind of mentioned before, Edom wasn't a really rich nation. They didn't have a lot to be proud of, like on an objective scale. They lived high in the rocks, so physically they were high in the air. Well, according to them, that was something to be proud of. They also were considered very wise And I actually put that in air quotes because obviously if they were wise, they would have listened to God, which they didn't. They just hated them and hated the Israelites. Um, But that's the thing is that this pride is what led to their downfall. Their pride and their grudge against Israel caused them to do unspeakable things, like we saw in the video. Um, And actually in the next section, it even describes it in more detail. Um, But that's what pride can do. It, it, It can make you see yourself incorrectly. It can make you do things that you shouldn't do. Um, And because of their actions and their hearts, um, God's judgment came. Then we look um, in verse 5. And this just describes how God's judgment is going to come. When you think of a, a thief coming to your house and stealing your stuff, you'd hope that they would only take what they need. In verse 5 it says... 
If thieves came, would they not only take what they needed? And God is saying, or Obadiah is saying, um, that it's going to be so much worse than that. Like all, all of their things will be taken. And I had to look this one up because I didn't understand it, but it says, if grape gatherers came, would they not leave gleanings? When I read that, I, I had no idea what a gleaning is. And so the my mind doesn't let that stuff sit, so I just had to look it up. But apparently the Israelites, um, when they would go to their vineyards and they would pluck pluck the grapes, they would actually leave a few on the ground for like the less fortunate. And so that is even describing how, how bad their destruction is going to be because they'll be left nothing. They will be left no gleanings. God is going to obliterate them completely. And obviously a hundred years later, that's, that's what happened. They were conquered. Um, and then we look at verse 8. Um, one of the cities in Edom was called Teman, and that was like a city where all of the wise people kind of congregated and lived in. And I just picture them sitting there, like, thinking about the world, like, thinking that they were, they were so great and so wise, and they were so pretentious. And so when you look at um, verse 7 at the end, it says, you have no understanding. This was a slap in the face to them, because they considered themselves so much smarter than everyone else. Um, but God, um, God's justice rained down, and, you know, He obviously is the king of the world, and, you know, basically said... You guys are done. And verse 9 <laughs> says, every, from, every man from Mount Esau will be cut off by the slaughter. And that's what God was saying is that your line is done for your actions. So now we're going to go ahead and take a look at the next section. And this is Edom's violence against Jacob. Because of the violence done to your brother Jacob, shame shall cover you, and you shall be cut off forever. On that day, you stood aloof. On the day that strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates, and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. But do not gloat over the day of your brother in the day of his misfortune. Do not rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their ruin. Do not boast in the day of their distress. Do not enter the gates of my people in the day of their calamity. Do not gloat over his disaster in the day of his calamity. Do not loot his wealth in the day of his calamity, and do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives, and do not hand over his survivors in the day of distress. So that's describing what the Edomites did to Israel. So we know that Israel was also facing judgment, and that they were conquered. And what the Edomites did is they took advantage of this. They, Since they were kind of a poor nation, they, they went to Israel and they pillaged them. And they basically kicked Israel while it was down. And not only that, they gloated over it. Can you imagine that? Like, your, your, your family, like they're related, they're both Abraham's, you know, they're of Abraham's line. They're getting captured, and then we think, oh, let's, let's go steal from them. Which I think is really bad. Um, and then the thing that is, kind of puts the cherry on top of like how evil their actions were, was we look in 14. And this imagery is just kind of crazy, but it says, Do not stand at the crossroads to cut off his fugitives. And so when I read that, I picture Israelites literally running, running away from these conquerors. And then the Edomites are grabbing them and going, Oh, they're right here. Come, come get them. Throw them back to the wolves. Think how prideful they That's how prideful they were. That's how much they hated Israel. That they would take their survivors and their, like women and children, throwing them back. Just, Terrible. Um, 
So yeah, and then what makes it all terrible is what makes I mean even even worse than that is that instead of you would think that you know their family you would think that they would protect the Israelites that they would say we're going to give you refuge we're going to take care of those people instead they did the opposite and then this is where the Lord comes so we've spent some chapters going you guys are bad but let's uh, take a look at the next section this is verse fifteen. Let me go ahead and change the slide really quick. For the day of the Lord is near upon all the nations. As you have done, it shall be done to you. Your deeds shall return on your own head. For as you have drunk on my holy mountain, so all the nations shall drink continually. They shall drink and swallow, and shall be as though they had never been. But in Mount Zion there shall be those who escape, and it shall be holy. And the house of Jacob shall possess their own possessions. The house of Jacob shall be a fire, and the house of Joseph a flame, and the house of Esau stubble. They shall burn them and consume them, and there shall be no survivor for the house of Esau, for the Lord has spoken. So they were really bad, and God's like, Alright, my day's coming. And so, what he said in those verses is basically, um, what he's said in previous verses is, he's saying, you guys, your line is no more. Because of the evil that you have committed. Um, and as we know about God, when he wants something, it's going to be done. And, and so it, it happened. Um, but I really like the imagery in actually verse 18. And even though Israel was being punished right now, what we see in verse 18 is that Israel's coming back. Their remnant's going to remain, and God's going to continue to bless them. And it says, The house of Jacob shall be a fire. The house of Joseph a flame, burning brightly. The house of Esau is stubble. I picture it like coals, just dying out. Just a little stubble. And then I picture Israel being powerful, and the Edomites just being so weak. Um, and then we can just look at the last section, where Obadiah concludes it really nicely. And this is verse 19. Those of the Negev shall possess Mount Esau, and those of Shephelah shall pass the land, possess the land of the Philistines. They shall possess the land of Ephraim and the land of Samaria, and Benjamin shall possess Gilead. The exiles of this host of the people of Israel shall possess the land of the Canaanites as far as Zarephath, and the exiles of Jerusalem, who are in Sephirah, shall possess the cities of the Negev. Savior shall go up to Mount Zion and rule Mount Esau, and the kingdom shall be the Lord's. God is a God of promises. He's faithful to us. And He's faithful to Israel even in their unfaithfulness. And we see that when Obadiah describes them as a fire, God will restore them. And because He's a God of promises, we, we know that uh, what He said about the Edomites will come, come to pass and it did a hundred years later. But verse 21 really just sums it up really well. It just says, The kingdom shall be the Lord's. And that's the truth. Is that this world is God's. And it's His kingdom. We serve an amazing God. um, And He's blessed us in many, many ways. And this book has shown us a lot of things. Um, So what's the point? What is is Obadiah trying to tell us? What, what What can we gather from this book? The Edomites, we think back to their history. 
we think back to all the things that happened in Genesis and how they've just held that grudge. And they had hardened hearts. They, not only were they, they held that grudge, they were upset. That led to them being prideful. They didn't listen to God's voice. It led them to do truly evil things in Israel's time of need. Where have we had hardened and unforgiving hearts? It's so easy for us to just go through life and be upset at people and, and hold grudges. And, and honestly, pride begins to well up. Because then you think, why did they do that to me? Or how could they do that to me? And then you just let that sit and sit and sit. And, and then the pride creeps in and deceives you. We heard Nick speak last week about being a generation breaker. Can you imagine what, the, what it would have been like if the Edomites had done that? They had a chance to show Israel love. They had a chance to forgive Israel of what happened in the past and move forward. And they could have taken care of them. And they could have given them rest and peace in their time of need. So what's the Spirit saying to you this Sunday? What is he saying? Is there someone in your life that needs forgiveness from you? Is there someone in your in your life where pride has crept in and you've slowly over time realized that you, you now see this person in a way that's not true? Maybe I see myself as better than this person. Because we all know that's not true. God loves each and every one of us. We're his sons and daughters. And while I'm not discounting whatever, you know, the past is the past and what happened happened, but we're all human. We all make mistakes. And God calls us to better than that. God calls us to love one another. So what is the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Who's, who's pictured in your mind's eye right now? Two weeks ago we got to hear Mark speak. And he told us something really cool. He said, he told us about the 10 second rule, which is when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something and then you need to act on that in the next 10 seconds. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you right now? Who's he telling you to forgive? Who, who's he telling you to serve? Who's he telling you to love on? Because you'd be surprised by just how much a phone call or a text can show Jesus' love. How can we break the generations that have plagued us? How can we be a better church? When people walk into common ground, do they feel that Jesus loves them? Do they feel that we're people that love Jesus? I know we do, guys, but this is God's kingdom. God calls us to be His hands and His feet. We know in the gospel it says we need to love Him and love others. We're not loving God when we keep pride in our hearts. We're not loving God when we hold grudges. 
And we're definitely not loving others when we're elevating ourselves above them. So let's just be that church that serves in love. So this week, guys, as you're going through, I want you to do what the Holy Spirit said to you this week, this, this Sunday morning. And you all know what it, what it said to you. And if you just bow your head and pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your scripture. We, we thank you for all that you give us. And we see what the, the Edomites did. And God, we don't want to be that people. We love you. We lo- we're so thankful that you died for us, Jesus. And the thing is, is this isn't where it ends. God, you, you give us your word and you, you tell us what's right and then we feel convicted, but the thing is, is there's hope. And we don't have to feel bad about that. We get to be excited because we serve a God that's great, who's in control of the world, that has his hand moving in it. And we get to be excited that that we get to be more like you, Jesus. We get to be excited about breaking the generation. It could be a lifetime of holding a grudge, but God, Holy Spirit, you're, you're breaking our hearts this morning. And we have hope in you, Jesus, that you're going to allow us to forgive. And then you're going to take that burden from us. You're going to break down that pride in our heart. And we want to do that. We want you. We want you to do that, Jesus, because we love you. And Jesus, we just thank you for speaking to us and walking alongside us and teaching us your ways. And we just pray this in your holy name. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.